false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many... Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for your anointing upon our hearts. We praise you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for the privilege to worship you in song. I thank you for the privilege to study your word, to worship you in study, Father. God, I just pray for your spirit to open our hearts and to open our minds as we look at this warning that you give us this warning that you lovingly give us this morning, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, when I last spoke, we I called it kind of a bridge. We were bridging from one portion of Christ's Sermon on the Mount into a series of warnings. Today, we look at one of those warnings and you see in your outline, I've broken it down into the problem. What's wrong? What, what are we looking at? What, why are we being warned? What are we being warned of? Then the proof, the fruits of those who live in the state that Christ is warning us of. And then we have the product, the result, the effect of that choice to live in that way. We want to go through this text this morning and look at it by these three points, starting with the problem. He opens this text with the words, beware of. This is a warning. This is Christ's loving warning to his children. He is maintaining the earlier balance in this chapter 7 where in verses 1 through 5 he commanded us not to judge but in verse 6 he said basically not to be naively accepting of others to be aware to be alert to understand that there is evil present in this world Jesus teaches his disciples that they must be wisely discerning. When, especially when professed prophets come into their midst, don't accept them at face value. He gives in this text this morning basically two warnings. In chapter 7, verse 15, he says, again, beware of. Beware of what? False prophets. He's warning us as he puts it of wolves in sheep's clothing. You children may be familiar with the Bible stories. God uses sheep throughout the Bible and that has been translated into beautiful children's stories 
comparing. And you know the stories of the wolves. You've probably heard the story of the big bad wolf, haven't you? Huffed and he puffed and he blew down the houses. Well, the big bad wolf, the wolf is always portrayed, often portrayed as, as bad, as evil. And Jesus is saying this evil is wrapped up in the fluffy, soft appearance of a sheep. They try to appear as this peaceful, kind sheep. That's the, the, the analogy that Jesus is, is setting for his disciples, that he's setting for us. If we don't identify these wolves in sheep's clothing, we will be misled by them. That's Jesus' warning. And that leads us into the second warning, going down to verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, watch out for these false prophets and watch yourself too. Because if you're fake, you're not going to make it. If you're not the real deal, you will not be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because heaven is a place of holiness. There will be no sin in heaven. We're not going to be able to fake our way into heaven. First of all, what are false prophets? The Old Testament contains many warnings about false prophets. One is in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord, but from themselves. These false prophets that the Old Testament speaks of, that Jesus is speaking of, are not harmless. They are not to be ignored. They appear, yes, as harmless sheep to real unbelievers, to real unsuspecting people in. But they are really not just wolves, <coughs> but ravenous wolves. That word ravenous... It means aggressively greedy. They want what they want because they want it. And they don't care who they hurt to get it as long as they get what they want. They'll start out appearing harmless, like a sheep. They'll try to deceive you, to entrap you. They might try to guilt you into following them, into listening to them, into obeying them. They might try to bribe you, just like Satan did Adam and Eve in the garden. They'll say, what I have for you is, is more instant gratification. God's withholding something from you. Just take the pleasure that I have for you and forget him. That may be one of their tactics. They may try to force you, to blackmail you. Paul warns us, in one of his letters about the schemes of the devil. Satan doesn't care how he gets us. And he doesn't really care about us. He wants to put a blemish on God. And he still hasn't figured out that he can't do it. Part of understanding what false prophets are is understanding why they are false prophets. Why are they doing what they're doing? 
Remember, we've said many times, it's not the what, it's the why. What's the motivation to be a false prophet? Just because someone is doing something sinful doesn't mean necessarily that they're a false prophet. Sometimes it's a maturing. Sometimes the what has to catch up with the why. But the key is the why. What drives them? What causes them? What motivates them to misrepresent themselves? To try to present themselves as something that they're not? Jesus himself was faced with false, false prophets. Back in Matthew chapter 3, we talked about some of them. Verses 7 and 8. Speaking of Jesus, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to, free from the, to flee from the wrath to come? He knew their hearts. He knew they were just pretending to come and worship and honor him. But he knew their hearts. He knew that they were false prophets. And he calls them out repeatedly. He told them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You're not repentive. And since you're not repentive, your fruit is not in keeping with repentance. The Pharisees were motivated by one thing. Their why for doing what they were doing was to maintain their power. To maintain their influence. They achieved their power because of their religious position. But to acknowledge Jesus, this newcomer on the scene, who by the way, the scriptures that they supposedly held so dearly, prophesied of. Four centuries earlier. But to acknowledge him was to surrender their power. Was to surrender the recognition. They maintained the illusion of religion to keep the power that it brought them. They wanted everyone to obey them. And if they pointed everyone to Jesus, it would point them away from themselves. That's why they were false prophets. That's why they presented themselves as something that they were not. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. See, that's what these false prophets are doing. They're imagining that their portrayal, their hypocrisy, their acting like religious men is gaining them something. They're feeding on the recognition upon the power and not understanding what they're costing themselves and those who, who they are misrepresenting themselves to. We've had some obvious false prophets in modern times. We've had a number in, in national and in world news of the heads of cults back from the 70s. I believe it was Jim Jones. In the 90s, you may remember David Koresh in Waco, Texas, the Branch Davidians. Won't go into detail of the things that he misrepresented, but he represented himself as Christ to those people. 
And he led them to a fiery earthly death. We can sit and we can try to judge those people. And how could you be so deceived? How could you not see through this man? How could you not see through these men? Jim Jones poisoned his followers who followed him to South America. Poisoned them to death. Don't judge too quickly. We're all, we all have the potential to be deceived in our own way. It depends on who we're serving. It depends on what we're believing. There are also much more subtle false prophets among us. In the 90s, we had some televangelists fall. Thinking of the Bakers, and I think Jimmy Swagger was earlier than that. They were presenting themselves as something that they were not. They were living double lives. I'm not judging them. It came out as fact. There are individuals who are overcome by the flesh. They submit to the flesh. They feed the flesh. They seek recognition. They seek money. They seek power. And they use the illusion of faith, the illusion of religion to gain that money, that power, that recognition. I'm sure you've probably heard your own personal stories of some power-hungry pastors who made it all about them and who fell very hard. Maybe you've heard some stories about power-hungry pastors who have not been exposed, who are running over people and stepping on people to get more recognition. Those people exist. Jesus is warning us to be alert. Why? Why do we need to recognize these people? Ultimately, we need to call these people out, even if they're pastors. Scripture gives us a directive that if a leader is caught up in a sin, you're supposed to go with two or three people and call them out. If you see something in my life, come. That's where the health of the church comes in that coming alongside of each other, restoring each other, pointing each other to God, to that narrow way that we spoke of two weeks ago, the narrow way that God, that Jesus prepared for us, that Jesus walked for us. I think there are also three different reasons why Jesus is instructing us to be alert, to be aware of these false prophets. First is to protect ourselves. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Our own stability. It doesn't say our salvation, but our stability. We go through life and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are those here this morning who have a relationship with Christ. You understand that Christ is the Lord of your life, but you're being sucked in by some of these false teachers and false prophets who are telling you that you have to do more, that you're not doing enough, and you're unsure, and you're unsettled, and you're wavering. Jesus is saying, 
Be diligent in discerning who those false prophets are. And God will bring you peace and he will give you rest. The second reason why we're to call out these false prophets is to protect others. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, there are different scriptures who, that, that the Bible tells us how to confront sin. This level of taking it in front of all, as we'll learn in Matthew chapter 18, that's a later step. But I brought this verse out because it stresses the importance of calling out sin. It stresses the importance of being diligent in this and not turning our backs on sin. Now, there are steps to be taken before you get to the public acknowledgement. There is a a one-on-one walking up to individuals and confronting the sin in their lives. And it's important to confront that sin for their sake and for God's glory. And that's why it's important to call out these false prophets. Because these individuals will be misled by these false prophets. If you want to keep others from being influenced by these false prophets, then you, by the power of God, need to do what's within your power to take down those false prophets. The final of the three whys that I have is to honor God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Again, you need to be prepared to defend the gospel to these false prophets who are preaching another gospel to glorify and bring honor to God. Well, that's the problem. These false prophets and the fact that they're having What's the proof? How do we know if they are false prophets? How do we identify them? Verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. It doesn't say you might. It says you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he uses a couple metaphors. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He talks about the healthy tree and the diseased tree. But how do you discern that? How do you determine if it's a thistle? How do you determine if it's a diseased tree, if these false prophets are false? Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone again to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We are better equipped 
to discern a false prophet, to distinguish good from evil when we know what good and evil look like. In the text we just read from Hebrews, he's rebuking them because they've had enough time in their faith that they should be farther along than they are. That's many of us. But then he goes on to tell them that it is a process of maturing, maturing into the meat. It's not one day you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the next day you can pick out a false prophet from across the room. Again, we're being sanctified. We're, we're being matured. We're being prepared to recognize false prophets. It is a process that God lovingly brings us through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. He's saying, don't just throw everything out. Be patient. Test it. And as you understand, as, as you go through the process of maturing, as you read Scripture, as you listen to sound teaching, as you're on your knees in prayer to God, as you're being matured and grown and, and developed into a mature Christian, use that maturity that knowledge to process, to test prophecies. Don't throw them out. Be diligent in studying them and processing them and embracing them. Don't panic. Don't be crippled by the fact, well, what if what this person is saying is wrong? What if it's wrong? What am I going to do? Be diligent in seeking God. Be diligent in studying the nature of God and trust that God will take care of us. Satan wants us to be suspicious of everyone and everything. He wants us to go around thinking, I can't trust anybody. Because then that binds us up and that closes us in to this shell and we're not effective in being workers of the Great Commission because we're too scared to act. We're too scared to speak. We're too scared to testify as to the good work that God has done in our hearts because we don't know who to trust. We only need to know that we need to trust one person, and that's God, our Creator. And to know that as we walk in faith out of a pure heart, He will reveal, he will reveal to us the false prophets. He will reveal to us the false teaching. He will keep us on the path that he has prepared. Don't expect people to be perfect. That's not what we're talking about when we say to call out false prophets and to seek out false prophets. Don't expect perfection. If you expect perfection, this pulpit's going to be empty. You say, well, that person said an off-color joke. Their interpretation of that verse, their doctrine is, is a little skewed. Give them grace. Walk alongside of them and restore them. Seek the why. Don't judge them simply by what they're doing. Seek the why of what they're doing. 
the life of a prophet and the result of his influence on other people are the fruits that will tell us whether or not what he's saying, the message that she may be saying, is consistent with the righteousness of God. Look at their testimony as a whole. Help to lift them up in the areas where they're coming up short. But look at their testimony as a whole. What are the fruits of their individual life? How do people respond to them? Do people who come in contact with this person, do they grow in their faith? Or are they taken backwards? Are they taken into sin? Are they taken into greed, wretchedness, suspicion? Look at the whole of the testimony of their life, the walk they make, and the lives of those whose lives they touch. That brings us to the product, the result of these false prophets, the result of living a life of being fake. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23, And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What does that mean? Let's go up to verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You guys know me. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. Full disclosure, I'm probably a little too soft sometimes. But this warning is real. I could stand up here and I could scream that if, if you don't get right, you're going to burn in hell. Guess what? That statement's true. But I encourage you this morning, you're not going to burn in hell because you're a drunkard. You're not going to burn in hell because you had sex outside of marriage. You're not going to burn in hell because you're a cheat, because you're selfish, because you're prideful. You're going to be cast in the fire because you don't care. You're going to be cast into the fire because you don't understand your need for a Savior. And you would rather embrace the things of this world than to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't care about the message of the false prophets as long as they don't step on your toes. You don't mind living a life of a, of a fake facade trying to be a, a pretend Christian as long as it gets you what you want. You see, when you truly surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the drunkenness, the debauchery, the pride, the selfishness, the greed 
God's going to take care of those things. Or you're still going to struggle with them from time to time because you're human. But what happens when you get involved in those things, you're not going to like it from the heart that you have that is changed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. God is going to work those things out of you. But if you're here this morning and you're content to embrace those things, to be a part of those things, and your only concern is that people don't find out, you're going to be cast into the fire. Again, not because you do those things, but the why of why you do those things, because you don't care. You don't want to do the things of God because you don't have an eternal perspective. Your mind is set on the things of this earth and the things of this earth alone and what they can gain you, the recognition that they can gain you, the power that they can gain you, the money that they can gain you. My heart breaks for you this morning. Because if you don't heed this warning that Christ has laid before us in this text, it has a terrible result. Those pleasures of this world that you don't think you could stand to do without are going to cost you eternity because you're refusing to surrender your life to Christ. Disobedience has consequences. Failure to teach those consequences is unloving. If I glazed over the scripture this morning and and I said, you're okay, you're all right, just do better, do better. It would be one of the most unloving things I could do. The the reality is, if you fail to embrace Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you will be cast into the fire. If you make the things of this world more important than the things of eternity, the things of God, to embrace the righteousness of God in your life, you will be cast into the fire. If you do those things and you just don't care, all you care about you is number one, you do not have a relationship with Christ. Those prophets who are misleading people, who are actually pointing people to themselves, those individuals who are pretending to be godly, and maybe you or someone else that you know, they're going to enter an eternity of torment. But it doesn't have to be that way. Christ stepped down from the right hand of his Father, out of that beautiful, holy, glorious place to walk on this earth to face all the temptations that we face, to face the persecutions that we could potentially face, the ridicule, the pain, the suffering, the death, not because of anything that he did, but to pave the way for us, to make a way for us to enter into eternity with the God who created us because we cannot cross into eternity on our own goodness, our own righteousness. His righteousness must be imputed, must be put upon us for us to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. God so graciously sent his son to die for us to make that way. Christ died not only that we could cross into eternity, but so that we could be overcomers in this life also. That we could walk in victory over the temptations of this world, over the pleasures of this world. God loves us too much to leave us wallowing in the midst of our wretchedness. I encourage you this morning to be on the lookout for false prophets. 
Don't be crippled in fear. Don't be walking in life like, is that one? Is that one? Is that one? But be diligent. Be thorough in your relationship with Christ. Dig into the word that he's given us in the, in the Bible. Work on your life of prayer that it would be fervent. You say, work, you're making it about me. No, I'm telling you that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those things will naturally come out of your heart. So if you're not doing those things, if you're not looking into Scripture, if you're not looking to surround yourselves with fellow believers who will urge you on to righteousness, then I ask you to question yourself, what are you living for? Why are you living the life that you're living? I encourage you this morning to be a child of God who seeks to uproot these false prophets, to strengthen your assurance, to protect others, and to help bring them into the kingdom of God and to glorify the God who created us. I praise God that he gives us these warnings. I praise God that I'm not going to enter into eternity and say, God, I never knew. You didn't tell me. No, he lovingly and graciously told us. And not only did he tell us, he provided the way for us to overcome it with great cost, with the greatest cost. Are you embracing that gift this morning? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I encourage you to take an inventory of yourself. Once again this morning, I didn't prepare Misty for this, but I do want to open the altar again this morning, and I want to encourage you that it's always open. If the Lord encourages you to come forward, to be obedient in that. And as I've done the last several times, if you want to come forward and just have time between you and God, please come to this side of the stage, and you can have a time of private, personal prayer with God. If you would like someone to pray with you, as we sing the last song, come forward to this side and someone will seek you out and walk with you because I encourage you, you are not alone. Satan wants you to keep secrets because if you keep the secrets of your sinfulness, they will eat you up, they will bind you up, they will consume you. I encourage you to come before God this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the power to be overcomers. We praise you, Lord, for the power to be able to discern and identify false prophets. God, I pray for those this morning who are living for themselves, who are living for the things of this world. God, that their hearts will be open, that their hearts will be changed, that you would take out their hearts of stone and you replace them with a heart of flesh, that they will have a desire to serve you and no one or nothing else, Father. And God, as they begin their new journey with you, Father, that the wretchedness of their flesh will fall away, that you will gently and lovingly and faithfully peel away the lies, the deceptions, the temptations that we embrace in this world. Father, we praise you for your loving patience for us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.